Alright, make some noise so I can test myself! Alright everybody, hello and welcome to episode 27 of Laughing Into the Void. I'm your host Tom, and as always co-hosting with me is the lovely Rosalind Paris. Hi! There we go, there it is. I, I was anticipating yep. it that time. Um, so you can watch our previous broadcasts on the District Comedy YouTube and Facebook channels or listen to them on most podcast platforms. If you enjoy the stream, please consider making a donation of any size at districtcomedy.io, uh, or as I pronounce it, districtcomedy.io. Um, alternatively, uh, like, share, and subscribe to our stuff, as that also helps. Here with us today, we have Michael Furr. Michael is a uh, booking manager for the Lou Costello Room Comedy Club, stand-up comic, improv coach, director, and producer. Uh, you can follow him on all social media at Michael C. Fur and watch him in straight acting and uh, coming soon, I Didn't Die, on Amazon Prime Video. Thank you so much for being with us today, Michael. Yay, and thank you for having me. Yeah, okay. So uh, we're just going <laughs> to jump in. Um, we ask all of our uh, guests the same first and last question. Uh, so uh, uh, the the question uh, that we're going to ask you first is, how would you describe your sense of humor to someone who has never seen you? Uh, I, I usually say I'm adorably offensive uh, because I, I do say offensive things, but like I would hope not in a way that would actually hurt someone's feelings. I like to point out why things are offensive and usually the inherent ridiculousness and things that, you know, you can say that are offensive to someone. Uh, I would say it's conversational, it's narrative, it's very gay, and <laughs> it's um, not family friendly. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> my kind of comedy yeah yeah <laughs> uh, cool um so and i'll also clarify because i like asking this clarifying question so like um kind of thinking about like the comedians that like inspire you or where you kind of uh feel like you get your uh comedic inspiration from do you feel like that is very similar to your own sense of humor or are there are a lot of people you admire who are like no i'm not like that at all but that's awesome <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the comedians that I admire, like the comedian I admire most is Joan Rivers. Like she's like, I think probably the greatest comedian of all time. And, but like her, like, like we don't have a similar joke structure or anything. You know, like she was like a very like jokey joke writer. And I like do like more of like a layered sort of like jokes with transitions that make them sound like stories and lots of tags and stuff. But I like, I do... I guess I relate to her sensibilities that she's, you know, will talk about the things that she's most uncomfortable with and the things that are probably the most uncomfortable to hear people talk about because those are the things that we need to laugh about is the things that people are like, oh, I don't know if you should be talking about that. Well, maybe someone needs to talk about it so you don't feel like that anymore, you know? So yeah, so I, I think she's probably my comedic like hero or inspiration but I don't think my comedy is very much like like her I think probably the co comedian who I'm most like that I respect is maybe like like a Wanda Sykes because she oh, does yeah. we do a similar kind of like story structure and you know we kind of do a similar like beats per minute of like jokes to laughs and of like act outs and voices and stuff like that so I would say like seeing her live a couple times I was like oh this is actually kind of my my pattern a little bit even though the subject matter is very different and kind of like our 
our voice like as a comedian is different mm -hmm. but like yeah. this structurally it's kind of like I would say it's more similar to her and she's also a big one of my like comedy idols so so yeah so between the two you know one I'm not like at all and one I'm sort of like in a weird kind of technical way <laughs> but like other comics that I like I'm, I would say I have like because when I first started, I was like, I'm going to be like Kathy Griffin. I'm going to be off the cuff all the time. And then like, you know, I was like, oh, that's not sustainable. You can't, <laughs> I cannot come up with a new hour. Yeah, you cannot do that every week. So, you know, so she was an inspiration in that way. But yeah, most of my favorites, I'm like, oh, I'm nothing like them. But I just, I am inspired by what they do and how well they do it, you know. Right. Well, it, it's interesting too, uh, to hear you talk about, uh, how you're similar to another comedian in a like writing technical way because we've yeah. had people on the show before too where they're just like um i talk about my day <laughs> <laughs> so far and like people who could just like crowd work for days where i'm like i cannot do that because i yeah. have anxiety um yeah. but it's uh <laughs> it's it's a good time either way you also kind of touched on something we were actually talking about in uh too funny feedback uh yesterday which is our feedback mic but uh kind of the idea of using comedy as like a means towards opening up a conversation about some of the more intense subjects uh so that being said um tell us a little bit uh about yourself about your background how you got into comedy yeah, so, um, you know, I'm flirty and fun at 41. Uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm from the D.C. area, and then in the middle of my life, just when, right, when I was about to go to high school, my parents were like, we should move somewhere that has a big yard and systemic racism, And except they didn't know the second part. So we moved, like, way out into the county of, like, rural Maryland, and they're like, you all have your own bedrooms, and they're like, why are there Nazis here? Like, they <laughs> were, like, unaware... Uh, you know, we were in those like little starter communities where they're like, this is for all the people whose dads work in DC. And they're like, but you're going to put us into school with all the people who live in the trailers. Like this, then we're going to have to get along. You think that's going to happen? That's not going to work. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I did that. And then I went to, um, I went to school to, I was a writing major uh, in college. Um, and then I dropped out of college to be like a drug addicted, like free reeling poet who lived in a 1986 Dodge Aries and uh, <laughs> did a bunch of drugs and put horrible To be fair, things. probably more profitable than being a writing major. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I use, it's like the only time I really used poetry, like in my life. Uh, I was like, oh, I'm so creative writing to people who are on heroin. They love it. <laughs> they're, they're so entertained. Um, it's a hard, that's a hard market to crack. Um, and then I got sobered up and everything and I worked in retail for a million years. I was like a buyer for like crunchy green stores and, you know, picked organic cotton underwear to sell in little shops and stuff. And then um, randomly when I was like 32, my dad just like suddenly died. Like he just like dropped dead. And it was like this huge like perspectives, perspective shift to me that I was like, oh, people die. And oh, and they have things that they didn't do that they were meaning to do. And he was like such a hard worker his whole life. He was like 80 hours a week, every day of his, every week of his, every day. 80 hours a week, every day. That's a lot <laughs> of hours. And I realized like there were so many things that he never did that he'd been putting off. And I realized I was doing the same thing that all I did was work. I was always like, oh, I'll do that later. I'm saving up for this, blah, blah, blah. And I realized there were so many things I hadn't done because I was afraid of them. And although I had kept writing and I used to, actually used to write comic books is what I did. So mm -hmm. I, I had been writing and it was always comedy, but I was like, I've always really wanted to be on stage doing comedy, but I'm too scared 
of like what people are going to think of me probably from going to school with a bunch of rednecks in the middle of the boondocks who all treated me like shit because I am this, you know, because <laughs> I'm like a six foot three, nine year old girl, you know, and uh, <laughs> so I, uh, I started doing stand up and I was like, I was like, I want to do it. And a friend of mine randomly was like, we're starting an open mic at the bar that I work at. And I was already like comfortable at that bar and with him. So I was like, I think I could like do this and not be afraid. And then I went there and I was like, oh, these people all suck. Like, oh, it's not, <laughs> this isn't for people who are good. This is for people to like get good, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, I started doing it like right away. And then I got into improv, like right, literally I started in January. And then in March, I like joined an improv class and joined a troupe. And seven years later, I coach improv troops full time is my job. And I'm the producer of a comedy club here. And uh, yeah, made, made my way into being a full time comic. Yeah, I mean, the, the Luke Costello room is like kind of mm -hmm. the accessible comedy club in Baltimore. So yeah, I, yeah, I took over just just a about a year two almost two years before the pandemic they were like this is going great but also let's close forever uh, <laughs> and uh yeah because it was like it was starting like literally our last show was like a sold out show like our last yeah. show before the pandemic so it was like everything was going great and then this happened oh. so it's good so so for people who might have known it under its old management do know it's it is under different management i know there was some like personality issues with the former producer and manager oh so i remember that yeah so there was a little <laughs> drama there but no 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 i'm not talking about it oh, but uh I, I don't want to talk about it remember when we said get canceled again that's oh, okay. that's what what happened that time uh yeah so but it's under new management same great owner it's a great space where everybody who performs there if it's a paid show gets paid producers can work there we do space rentals it's a great place for you know a lot of people I know who are in the LGBTQIA spectrum people who are people of color who have not really felt comfortable doing things in like more traditional comedy clubs this is a great sort of like bridge because it is a comedy club but it has a small small local vibe and it's very open to everybody you know we do open mics usually four nights a week and we have writers rooms and shows and shows where we book people of all levels so so it has been like a really great thing because when I started out I was like I want to be a producer and they were like yeah they're like you can have Wednesday nights at 10 just <laughs> not a great time or night for comedy and I was like yeah I'm gonna do a gay show and it's gonna be called the rainbow show and then you know it was like me and like one other gay person and then like all of our straight friends. And, and, but I, but that's how I like got the bug where I was like, oh, I, I think I can like make, make stuff for myself. Cause I was like, everybody's like, when do I get booked? Who's going to book me? Why isn't anybody booking me? And I'm like, I'm just going to do my own thing. Like, fuck that. I'm too old. I'm not y'all 22. I am not 22. I'm trying to like make this happen. So I just started like running my own shows. And I was like, I want to do a talk show and a game show and a this and that. And I just, I just did it. And the Lou room is like a great space. Cause we let people do dumb crap. We let people try stuff, you know, yeah. like you want to try it. We'll let you try it. If it goes well, you can keep doing it. If it doesn't, well, you, at least you yeah, got to try it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Come back and try something else. Yeah. No, that's awesome. It's so important to have like a place where you can like experiment when you're trying to grow comedically. And uh, you actually touch on something else that really inspired me for uh, starting uh, district comedy because I used to be an actor and so much of what was appealing about stand-up was that it is like one person it is like one man show to the 10th degree you can pack it up take it anywhere minimum props and uh 
it's just it's so much better to be in control somewhat of your own fucking <laughs> like i'll give myself gigs damn it yeah it's uh, really rock star it's really like yeah it's the, and there's a reason why people in music always say they wish they did comedy and people in comedy always think, wish they were musicians. Like when you, when you, cause they try to blend the two a lot. And I really don't think the two mix very well. They'd be like, you should do comedy on this music show. I'm like, that's a terrible idea, but oh, how much? I'll do it. Uh, but like, because I think musicians are like, oh, you just do the part that we're trying to get to by expressing what we're expressing through the music. Like, you're just like, here's the feeling and the idea, you know, like that's, and there's no layers between that, you know? And we just like music, cause we're like, oh, there are so many layers. <laughs> there are so, there's so much buffer. <laughs> but it's, it, I think Fewer that's why. feelings. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's why I think like comedy is so like, it is like, Archie Jameson, great comedian, he told me, he was like, our comedy is the truest art form. And it's kind of true because it's, there's literally nothing but what's coming out of your mouth and brain at that moment, where regardless of how much you wrote ahead of time, that doesn't matter. Stand, nothing you write is stand-up, stand-up is stand-up. So it's like, until you get on stage and start talking, it's not actually stand-up. So it really is kind of like, it's like the most legit art form uh, as unless you talk about like beat poetry or something because it's like it's happening right now <laughs> like you're making it right now and then it's just gone <laughs> forever yeah i mean and you're super powerful and vulnerable at the exact same yeah. time like um tom and i always talk about this but we come from more of an improv background yeah. so like we're used to being on stage with like other people and you have like support it's like i know if i'm having a bad night i know like tom can keep Tom can keep it, it funny. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Tom can pick me out. <laughs> um, but like stand up, you know, to this day, it still kind of freaks me out because you're up there yourself with just your jokes and that's it. Yeah. You know, it's true. Or if you do crowd work, which I always call uh, scene work with somebody who's probably drunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah. I also, uh, side note, uh, yeah, didn't didn't realize you were six three. That's tall. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I like. I feel normal size. I don't real. I don't know that I'm tall. Like my husband is, or my partner is like the same size as me. Like he says we're six two, and I'm like that's not what my license says, um, <laughs> which is totally accurate. Um, but like, yeah, I don't realize that I'm tall until I look at pictures. Cause I'm like, I'm from a tall family. Like every, like I'm like the little one in my family. Like my brothers are all like six, six and six, five. And, oh. stuff. and they're, all like, they're all like these big, like muscle neck guys and stuff. And I'm like, I just like this little clip, you know? And, but it's weird. Like until I look at pictures and I'm like, why am I like this? And I'm like, oh, cause I'm crouching down to like <laughs> be at like face level with like a regular size person, I guess. <laughs> I mean, my partner is six four, and I remember we ran into you and your partner on a walk once. Uh -huh. and I'm five four, so you guys are all having a conversation. <laughs> listen to me, listen to me, like, <laughs> jumping to get into everybody's eye line. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it must be nice to reach the top shelves. Um, but yeah. also, um. All right, uh, so I want to kind of find out more about just how, with everything that you have going on, any tips for somebody, I don't know, like me, for how to, like, uh, juggle having so many different shows and so many different events going on at any given time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you really have to, like, 
you have to do the work. You know, like there's like, a, I, I, I respect people who can just like show up and then it's just like, they're just ready to go. But it's like, there's a lot of like front loading and comedy. Like you have to, of course you have to write and you have to prepare and everything. But like, if you're going to have a busy schedule and you're going to be a working comic, like you really have to like, which is something I've actually gotten really bad at during the pandemic is like, you really have to like maintain your schedule and you have to do the thinking that goes into planning what you're going to be doing that night, like way before it's time to do it. Because when it gets time to do it, like the doing it is different than the figuring out what you're going to do, you know? So it's like, you, you have to like take the time to like work it out and like this whole, and, and, you know, as improvisers, we're all improvisers. It's, you're like, I could just figure it out, you know, but you're like, but you usually know, like, there's a discrepancy in how well that works, or at least how comfortable I am doing it, or how good I feel about it. Sometimes it's like, wow, that went great, thank God, because I was not prepared, you know, but, you know, you know, like, you just have to really set the mental time aside to to think about everything and to really go over everything with like a fine tooth comb. And I've gotten really bad at, during the pandemic. Like I like, I, I've like missed gigs and stuff, which I've like never done. And like, I've had like gigs which just like came and went and I'm like, oh shit, that was tonight. And I'm just like, I have like this weird nebulous relationship with like time right now. Cause I'm like, it's just all sitting in my kitchen. You know, it doesn't <laughs> feel like real or something. So, so yeah, I know I have to like get back to like being like super HBIC, like a type, like on top of my schedule, or it's gonna, it's not gonna work. Cause also too, I know that if I don't do the work and don't do as much of it as I can, that like, A, it affects other people because I'm running shows for a lot of that work, but also B, like, I can't look down at people who don't put, put the work in. <laughs> like, uh, I have to, I have to maintain my moral stranglehold over people who aren't doing enough, and if, if I'm not doing enough, then I, like, it's not earned, I gotta have I my shit together so I can judge you for not having your shit together. <laughs> exactly, yes. <laughs> but also, too, also, don't, I think the thing that when people are starting out too, they're like, they're like waiting for things. And I think like everybody needs to be like just a little bit more proactive when they're starting out, like try to do everything, like get, anytime somebody talks about a show, ask who books that show. Anytime somebody t talks about booking a show, ask them if you can, if you tell them you're going to friend them on Facebook or whatever and ask them can, if I come, you know, can I maybe get a guest spot or something like bookers are not going to be offended if you ask them to be on a show and unfortunately most of comedy is people wanting to book their friends and colleagues and people who book them like that's just an unfortunate reality of most businesses in the arts especially comedy but you just have to like put yourself out there and do as much as you can until you feel like you know who you are and you're working like true to who you are and then you can you know, back off and you can do the stuff that's important to you and the stuff that actually feels worth it to you. And once you get to that point where you actually are turning down gigs because you're like, I don't think I'm going to get anything from this other than 10 minutes on stage or whatever, yeah. that's a good place to get to, you know? It, it is. And I think that like so many people, yeah, they, they want to like get to a place where they can be more selective and kind of yeah. start to curate their content a little bit, make sure yeah. they're representing their brand. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, so I want to just clarify also, though, uh, your involvement with Lou Room. Is that like yeah. yours? 
Is that like just you just book for them? Um, okay, cool. Yeah. So there's a there's an owner. You know, he's the, he's owned the bar. Um, you know, forever for you know like thirty years or something. The bar's um, called Zissimo's. Yeah, the bar is called Zissimo's yeah. Bar, and oh, this is the, the, yeah Zissimo's Bar. So this is the second floor is the Lou Costello Room Comedy Club, where Lou Costello from Abbott Costello's family used to own the bar, and they hung out. He used to hang out there all the time. So really? Got, that's where yeah, that's from. I didn't yeah, know there's that. There's pictures of him all over the bar. Pictures of him <laughs> hanging out upstairs in that little attic where we do comedy. I've never <laughs> been up there sober. Yeah, yeah, right, I know. Most people haven't. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, but yeah, it's literally, there's pictures of them all the way downstairs just serving bars and acting a fool up there. And that's why the owner wants it to stay comedy. So I book all the comedy shows. I produce um, the two shows on Friday, which are Friday Night Stand-Up. I also host Friday Night Stand-Up. Mm-hmm. Saturday is Saturday Night Showcase, which is improv stand-up and sketch. I produce and usually host that too. And then Thursdays and Sundays is something different every week. And I produce it if it's not an outside producer coming in to run the show. And then we do open mics after every show that I produce but don't host. And then I do all the social media, do all the marketing. You have your do- own podcast. And then I have my own podcast. Yeah, I do. I do. I do all my own podcast stuff too. But yeah, but yeah. So I do. I basically do everything there. You know that needs to be done. But I work with a lot of producers like Abby Mello and Eddie Lyles and you know Garrett Harvest and stuff who run their own shows. And I just sort of am the in between person. I usually end up just like working the door. You know. <laughs> but like I. But I. All the Someone's comedy gotta. is run by me. You know, like in some some in some way I run all the comedy. Oh, you're the man that's pulling the strings behind yes. the curtain well it's funny because i did retail for 20 years and it was like and i remember like always working because i did like buying and merchandising so you know you'd like do these stores up for like christmas and they'd be these, like amazing beautiful fanciful fanciful wonderful land and then people come in and they're like oh i'm having such a wonderful christmas this is lovely and then the people who work there are like oh i wish i was home I wish I was with my family. And I'm like, yeah, but don't you understand? There's like a different kind of pride and joy that you can get from like providing that for other people, you know? Like they, you know, to just be like, well, have a great Christmas and then, or have a great holiday. And then they don't see you sweating in the back trying to keep all the plates spinning. You know, like there, there is something to be said for that. And I feel like that same way about comedy that I'm like, I don't mind not being the person who's on stage like the most or getting to like work on my material the most because providing that and getting to just like be a part of a place where that happens is like super important and also like really fulfilling you know like it's and also it's like a a job (laughs) also you can like do it for a living you know which is nice you know (laughs) that's a that's like a good part of it for sure no (laughs) I, i totally agree though especially like not that i am anywhere near your level but like as a little baby pandemic virtual producer like uh there's a real joy in like being able to facilitate a space for others to do comedy um even if it means i don't have enough time during the week to work on my own five minutes or whatever yeah Uh, but But you'll do you'll get more from experiencing all of these shows and seeing like what works and what doesn't work and hearing especially when you see people multiple times and you're like oh they changed that one word or they changed the placement of that joke and you know you're you're like a smart person and you're like a receptive person so it's like especially with like improv skills like those are the skills that you can use listening to other people do stand-up and you're like oh I get why that worked this time but not that time or also to see because like I also don't do crowd work to see the way people handle like crowd work situations and like hecklers and stuff you they don't teach that 
But if you're like a producer and a showrunner, like you will learn that. You will absorb yes. all of that because you will experience it time and time again. And luckily not when it's happening to you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I feel like I've definitely, I've definitely learned a lot from watching uh, other people bomb on my shows. Uh, just kidding. Everybody who's on my shows is hilarious. Please Never a single bomb. Off. Never uh, a bomb. <laughs> Oh, right. Uh, but uh, let me go back to my list of questions. Oh, yeah. Um, so I want to talk about um, your special on Amazon, uh, oh, yeah. both the one that's already out straight acting uh, and the one that's coming up, which uh, I have the name of it here is uh, I Didn't Die. Uh, I didn't so die. talk to me a little bit about like the process of like going through and like putting out a full length special yeah. on Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, so <laughs> I mentioned him once before, Archie Jamison, my good friend who just moved to Nashville. Um, I love him so much. He's one of, the, one of the great comics I've ever worked with. He did a special, he did like a 15 minute special. And I was like, I was like, Hey, I'm going to like watch how you do this. And then if it goes well, I'm going to do it. <laughs> he was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to like, literally just like do this. And he's like, I'm fine. So he like, he did it and he worked with a friend of ours who has a production company and everything. And it worked so well. And to like watch him like work on this like special and everything was like really interesting. And as soon as they were finished, I literally like spoke to the producer and director and I was just like, I want to do an hour. I want to like do like an hour special. And they were like, okay, yeah, sure. So, so literally I, cause I realized too, like I had been doing a lot of the same material for a long time. And I was like starting to retire a lot of my old jokes, but I also knew that like, if I put it all in my head, like in an order, I was like, oh, it's basically just me talking about my life as a gay man, like as a gay kid to like being a gay comedian and like, just like my relationships and talking about grinder and just like gay stuff, right? And I was like, oh, I think that's an hour. Like, I feel like that in and of itself is like a self-contained hour that is like a cohesive thought. And so, yeah, I spent about like, I spent about six months maybe a little over six months just doing the special, just like going places and doing like 45 minutes to an hour or like go into a club and do like two 45 minute sets in a night or something, you know, so I could just like run as much of it as I could in the order I thought would work. Yeah. And then I was just like, anywhere they would have me for the like 20 minutes or more, I'd be like, can I do like 25 minutes? And I would just like do like a chunk of it. And yeah, and I just started thinking about like what I wanted to say, what it was going to be and like what the luckily for being a creative writing major, I was like, okay, what is like the narrative like flow of this? Like how, what does it look like? And yeah, and I figured it out. I worked with um, ATV Productions across the Bridge Productions, uh, which Joey Malinsky and Eric uh, Glazer. And yeah, and we filmed it at the, at well, what was the wind-up space. Uh, oh, right. Yeah, RIP, RIP wind-up. One of the great venues, really, really great. Yeah, yeah. And I filmed it there on March 15th of 2018 and it was uh, which was the day that was found for me by comedian Christy Bellich because she did my star chart to make sure <laughs> that was the correct day for me to film my special I was like I think it needs to be a Thursday she's like you are correct and I was like you said comedy takes preparation it's so. true and I was there like go. I'm gonna plan this out right I'm not gonna end up in a Sagittarius slump because I picked <laughs> the wrong day to film my special. Yeah, and I had Scott Cease, now viral TikTok celebrity Scott Cease opened for I, me and hosted. That blows my mind that he's been gone viral. I, I know he's when he was underage. One of my great friends, one of my great road dogs. All right, right. <laughs> one of my great friends, one of my like good road dogs we used to do. We we did this gig one time in Hershey, Pennsylvania at this winery. Oh my God, it was such a mess. With Daryl Charles, what a nightmare. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, and then I, so I just, I planned it out. It really only took me about six months to get the actual material together because I had been doing it 
mm -hmm. a lot of the material for so long, you know, it was like stuff I've been doing for like four years. And yeah, and I just put it all down and we, we filmed it and filmed a little funny opening of me behind my old apartment in Mount Vernon, peeing a <laughs> rainbow out on the side of my building and, <laughs> and yeah, did some, did some promo photos and stuff with Travis Marshall, the photographer and just, uh, yeah, and it was really great. Put it on Amazon prime video. I had to like prove to them that I was like a real pro producer and that like, I like a real person and stuff. And, you know, it was actually not that hard. You can put stuff on Amazon Prime Video if you can prove that you're legit, like they'll like let you do it. Uh, it's like a book, you can like self-publish a book. It's like the same thing. Um, and yeah, and I, it's been on there since, since like, I guess end of 2018 or like August of 2018, I guess, but it's been viewed in over 35 countries on four continents. And mm, wow. it's been, yeah, it's been like amazing. It's been like one of like the, and also too, I feel really, great about what it is even though I don't necessarily like most of that material now <laughs> you know I'm like oh. you know but you know artists grow and I guess you always look back and think I shouldn't have done that or whatever but I know that what it is by itself is like is it's okay you know and I like I feel good about it and then I knew I was going to do two more specials I wanted to do one about turning 40 and I wanted to do one about being a working comic so right before the pandemic, we filmed my second special, which is called I Didn't Die, which I recorded on my 40th birthday. And it was Aww. just all about getting older. It was just a whole hour about like turning 40 and, you know, the difference of being young back in when I was young before the internet and stuff and now. And yeah, we filmed that at Motorhouse, uh, again with ATV Productions, again with Scott Seas and Bunny Themelis. And uh, yeah, down it was really cool. Down the street from the wide up space. That's just right down the street, the little comedy <laughs> mecca of, of Station North. And uh, and then we're like, we'll release it in early 2020. <laughs> and then early 2020 happened. And then, so it's been done, it has been done, but I was gonna release it in the summer of 2020, but I didn't think it was the right time for like a white male to release a special called I Didn't Die. Yeah, you know, I was yeah, like, that's, that's, that's not, that's not, that's I, I'm aware. Yeah. yeah, I'm aware of that. And then I was going to release it for free, you know, just for like people to watch. But I also didn't want to like lose any kind of momentum that I would have on it eventually because I can't tour to support it. I can't like do a, a viewing party or, you know, because like when the first one came out, we did like a viewing and I sold, you know, sold them and stuff. So, so we did hold off on it. So it's going to come out hopefully this summer, you know, it takes a little while to get it uploaded onto Amazon. They have to approve like every aspect of it. They'll like cut you down because they're like, you said.com and that's advertising. You have to cut that out and stuff like that. So, so I have to like get it approved by them. And we're like still filming the like creative, like we're doing like the opening credits and stuff mm -hmm. and the photo shoots and the advertorials and stuff. So that should, hopefully it'll come out by the end of next month. Cause I'd like it to come out like for gay pride month, but, um, but we'll see, it'll be out at some point this summer. Nice. And then, uh, and then I'll have a third one at some point, <laughs> at some point, but this one took a lot longer to prepare for because it was a lot, it was a lot of it was new, you know, it was like, yeah. a lot of, like stuff I had written like for the special about, cause also I was about to turn 40. So I was like writing a, a lot about getting older. So it took me about like nine months, maybe almost a whole year of just like, is this a joke? Does this work? Is this funny to anybody? Because I didn't know, you know, before it was like all stuff I'd been doing and I knew like it was okay. So yeah, so, so it was a little more difficult the second time around, but filming it was actually easier, you know, because I was like more comfortable with that process. Yeah, you'd gotten to go through it at least once already, but yeah, yeah, that's yeah. interesting to me because it seems like after you did the first one, then you were just able to like crank out a full another hour. 
Yeah, the third um, one's already be, written. Really impressive, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the third one's already written. Like I have like because oh, wow. actually the, the the sets that I've been doing before the pandemic was like my I'm professionally gay set. You probably heard if you see me do stand up during the pandemic, I've slipped some of those jokes in there. But it was literally I wrote another hour about being a professionally gay comedian, and so like that will eventually turn into the third special whenever that happens. But let's like get the second one out first <laughs> at some point. Yeah, at some point I'll get it done. But I'm like, I'm a bit like, I'm a, well, I don't want to use that word, but like, I'm, I write a lot. Like I, you know, like I always, and also being a host, like hosting like four nights a week or four shows a week. It's like, I do a lot of new material. You yeah. Know? yeah. Just like, and you're also like in the environment all the time. Yeah. Um, so it's good to have all those um, kind of different sources to help keep the creative juices flowing though. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, cool. Well, thanks for talking about uh, your special with us. Um, oh, oh, it's such a, it's such a twist my arm. <laughs> <laughs> Check it out. Yeah, uh, I didn't die. Hopefully, sometime this summer. And yeah. also, great title for post pandemic too. I know. I, know. <laughs> I was like, because uh, I was like, oh, should I change it? Are people going to be sensitive? Because the other, the other title we were thinking about was was forty to death. Because I do a joke in the special where I say, oh, I'm no longer eighteen to thirty nine. I'm forty to death. And I was like, oh, I don't know which is like more morbid. <laughs> I was like, at least I didn't die. Sounds like I could be talking about the pandemic, you know, but then it's like, do you open with saying like, this was filmed before the pandemic, please excuse dated references and me not like making a joke about Zoom or something, you know? <laughs> so it's kind of, it's, it's, like a, it's like a weird time to release content. Yeah, know? I'm kind of like looking at stuff opening up around me and I'm like looking at my set and I'm like, I'm not going to be able to make my Zoom jokes anymore. I'm yeah. not going to be able to say, coming at you live from my closet uh, yeah. when I'm not in a closet. Um, so that's kind but of... there's a way to frame any good joke and make it work. Like, if you can distill the chunk out of anything that's a joke, you can put a new premise on it. Like, yeah, you like, can it'll probably turn way. into, like, uh, really happy to be let out of my closet or something <laughs> yeah exactly um, yeah into the wild um yeah. but yeah no it's uh i also think it's interesting uh the way uh that you were talking about writing for the one hour special as far as like having to find uh the different clubs around that would like have you doing the larger chunks because that yeah. is something i don't know if you have also observed this in digital comedy world uh but it is just like hard enough to find an open mic that'll like let you do five minutes uh like attention spans are just so much shorter i feel yeah. like uh we we were doing a good um three minutes uh three minute mic at one point i think yeah. and uh yeah it was like uh that was that was all uh the community i had built at that point was like able to hold uh for that time which i just find interesting do you think that that's uh, an accurate uh, assessment. Yeah, and I do, and and it's hard too because it is harder to sustain a long amount of time online because you don't have like this, you don't have the same breaks that you have during a live set where you can kind of like recalibrate and like if you forget something, you can give yourself a second to like catch up, you know, and you can you know you're like oh I lost my place what was I gonna say you know so because that's the other thing too is if you are working to like get time like if you're working to like I'm trying I've got my type five or my type three with a good five or whatever and you're like trying to work on your like 10 or 12 like you also need to like 
be off book you know it's like it has to be a 10 or 12 that like you're not up there like oh what did i write today you know you gotta like be able to just like have 10 or 12 that you can just like drudge up so like you need to like have those built-in moments where like oh if i screw up like is there another place that i can jump back into that joke or mm -hmm. if i miss it you know like do i just it's just gone forever so it's really hard to do that online because you're just kind of monologuing you know there's not like these like breaks there's not if there is feedback, it's disruptive, you know, yeah. because it's not like yeah. supposed to be there, you know, <laughs> with like in a club, if there's feedback, you're like, oh, cool. This is just part of the, the vibe. We're all doing it. So, yeah. so yeah, it's hard. I mean, I've done a couple of long sets. Like I've done like 25 minutes on zoom or like online and it's hard. Like, I'm not going to lie. It's like, it's tricky. You know, like I think 20 to 25 is like kind of a really good comfort zone for me on stage. Like that's, I can get a lot out and I feel like I can get some good stories and stuff. But like I have a really hard time with that online because 10 minutes in I'm like I'm talking so fast and I'm going through so much of this I'm burning through this material because because I'm not like I'm not engaging with people as much you know I'm not actively like because also too live I'm like I'm always wondering like oh you like me talking about this so I'm going to talk more about that you know and I'm yeah. like uh, I've got some more tags I can punch onto that one idea or if it doesn't work I can move off of it and online you're just kind of like is this, is anybody listening? <laughs> too. I mean, I think you're smart to do these shorter mics too, because three and four minute sets is also a specific skill. Like that's also a thing, like, especially if you want to do LA and New York comedy, you might be doing three minutes, you know, yeah. like, I mean, talk show sets are like a minute and a half to three minutes. So it's like, if your goal is to like be on Conan or whatever, well, he's gone now, <laughs> he's, 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 he's over, but you know, or Fallon or whatever, yeah, any show you want you need to have like a three minute or less set and like i'm bad at three minutes three minutes i'm just like starting to like talk about my day you know <laughs> so like that is so like having mics like that is actually like a skill that people do need to practice and work on because that's actually like a very viable thing that will come up yeah, yeah. but people i definitely do relate to, do. to what you say about pacing online it's like that is basically how i've had to set myself up now when i do do sets is like i have my script out in front of me and i just like hit bullet points and it's almost like when someone makes a sound i'm like can you please not i'm in the middle Silence, of saying please. something and your laughing is interrupting my comedy i know um, i know and i want i can't wait to see what it's like to watch people transition to live comedy who have mostly or only done online comedy because i've seen like a lot of really great joke writers and people who have like like you know a lot of potential and stuff but i don't know if people are going to be willing to put in all the extra steps for the smaller yield because it's like yeah. you get more i guess out of a live show i mean depending on what you're trying to get out of it but there's so much more work like going to an online or in-person open mic sorry people who were only done online mics you're going to be going all night you're going to watch you're going to get bumped for some friend of the friend of the host some guy <laughs> from out of town some judah freelander is going to show up and want to do 25 minutes and you're going to be going up at 1 a.m to do three minutes when you got there first to sign up you know and it's like 20 bucks some, for parking yeah and 20 bucks for parking <laughs> if it's in dc so there's a lot of like a weird layers that i hope will not discourage people because I feel like if you can do the discouraging part and you still wake up and like you think about wanting to do comedy and what you're going to do next time you get on stage, then like you should be doing comedy. And also too, the more you do it and the more stuff you go to, the more people you'll meet and that's how you'll get connected 
to do other stuff. You know, I do this like improv play program at the Fells Point Corner Theater where we do like a two week run of like a completely improvised musical or play where we just like build a set and come up with characters and then we get inputs every night and just like do a made up like B movie sci-fi or like a ghost. One time it was like a ghost story. One time it was a Christmas musical. And the only reason I did that was because like I just like kept working with random people and my improv life bled over with somebody's theater life and they were like oh we want to do like an improvised show because we have a set but no show they're like can you just like improv <laughs> a play based on a set that's like a haunted house set and I was like damn right I will eight shows you got it baby you know, that sounds I'm, so up my alley it's so fun it's something <laughs> the next one will be in September at Fells Point Corner Theater it's called Homecoming Fright it's a 1980s slasher at the prom murder mystery Ooh. it'll be a different killer every night so even the performers will not know who is actually the killer it's gonna be really fun yeah. uh but only because I always am like trying to like force myself into to do stuff you know and like that's how I've had like every opportunities because I like went to shows and mics and like made myself be around other people who run stuff and produce stuff and was like shameless about asking people <laughs> and then that time they actually asked me so I was like wow <laughs> um, yeah that's that's awesome that's so cool um and yeah like I feel like people do uh really like uh the convenience I think of uh digital comedy so it'll yeah. be interesting to see uh, who doesn't get weeded out because of that? Who's who's really uh, in love with comedy? That I know. I hate to say, forty-five it, minutes it sounds so gatekeepery, you know? Because I like, I, I think I hope that online comedy stays in a way because I know like great comedians like John Nagel, who's in a wheelchair, who is probably one of the funniest people I've ever met, one of the better joke writers in the city cannot perform at the Lou room, you know, because it's mm -hmm. in the second floor of an inaccessible space, you know, so it's like digital comedy is like a huge benefit to so many people. But at the same time, it's like, it's still not the, the there's still like a more, I don't know, I don't want to say like better thing, but there's like a different thing. There's like a whole layer of stuff that we're missing out on by not being around people doing it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. definitely a level of engagement that is hard to replicate online. Um, but yeah, definitely a lot of benefits uh, to the to the whole uh, digital comedy thing, uh, like you mentioned, for uh, people who are uh, otherwise unable to access those open mics. Um, but sorry, Roz, I think I interrupted you. You look like you were going to say something. Uh, no, I was, <laughs> I mean, I was just gonna add on the, the whole issue of like access, because we've talked about, I mean, we had um, Desiree Walsh, who's a Canadian comedian, and she's fucking brilliant. Um, but you know, she said, part of her problem is she's also in a wheelchair. So a lot of clubs aren't handicap accessible. And actually, as you were talking about John Nagel, I was like listing all the places I know in Baltimore that do comedy. I'm like, stairs, stairs, stairs. Can't go to sidebar, sidebar, double stick. Bar. Yeah, none of it. Yeah. Or yeah. even just like don't live in a city with yeah. comedy. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it was also crazy because I was like looking at uh, you know, at some point, uh district comedy doing like a live event, and I'm like, okay, would there be anything in Annapolis? Any open mics in Annapolis? Which is like it's not it's it's a capital of a state like it should be a city but no no comedy there's no Only comedy in annapolis <laughs> there's no comedy they don't want to laugh i have friends we, in annapolis who are always like let me know when you're coming to annapolis i'm like 
I guess never, <laughs> because there's nothing. I would, I would come. But we, like, there is a market for it there. Like when our improv troupe, uh, Free Range Improv was still together and we were performing there, you know, there's space for it. I just, uh, for some reason, bars insist on just having the same guy playing Hootie and the Blowfish covers in the corner all night. Like, <laughs> Not I Hootie and the Blowfish. <laughs> Honestly, maybe that's what I'll do. I'll go to all the old uh, free range people who would hire us and be like, no more improv. We're going to do a stand-up open mic now. Yeah. Um, or maybe a both. Anyway. Get them to give you a bad night that they don't have anything else going on and just see if you can get, like, local. Because if there are people there who want to do open mics, mm -hmm. they'll, you know, and if it's night, there's nothing else going on. If they can make drink money, then they might do it, you know. But Annapolis is hard, too, because there's a lot of money there. So it's like the idea of just being open for non-wealthy people is probably like foreign to them because they're like, or we can just open <laughs> to why? regular people who have money and they'll drink more. <laughs> it's like it's a very it's just, it's such a different environment from doing comedy in Baltimore. Like um, you know, most most of like what I perform has been in Annapolis. So when I do events now in Baltimore, I'm like, oh, these people will laugh at like really fucked up or like scary or you know like out there shit and then performing for annapolis audience is like oh you know uh you ask for a suggestion from the audience they're like dildos like yeah no one uses those you know You're like yes like dildo that's a suggestion yeah right like dildo but something else yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> porn yeah, it's okay. nice too. i think baltimore gets a is great comedy audiences because like if you live in Baltimore, you're sort of like, and eh, I'm not that offended by this. There's way more worse stuff <laughs> happening outside of my own door, you know? And also Baltimore has like such a great collection of people of artistic minds. Like it's so diverse and so different and so authentic. Everybody's so different. And like, there's not like a style of Baltimore comedy where like a lot of cities, like in the East Coast you go to and it's like, oh, this is Fifth County Row. His girlfriend is crazy. How about that? Oh, oh is your girlfriend so crazy? Because she, she wants you to call her? Awesome. Uh, you know? <laughs> but like Baltimore's like, oh, that guy did a song and oh, that guy's got puppets and oh, that guy's a mime. And you know, like there's just like weird different stuff that somehow- For my personal works. favorite, uh, a guy at Sidebar came up on the open mic and just humped a, a stool across the stage for five minutes. I love that. So it wasn't my best was... night. Okay, it was just not. I was a little <laughs> off that night. I was trying to figure out <laughs> way to call him out, Roz. Don't. I'm sorry. Okay, look. <laughs> Travis has a video of it. If you want to like use it for your special, that's yeah, actually like, gonna be the fourth Amazon. Yeah, yeah, I hump a stool. I'd be like, I'd get called, I'd get canceled for stealing somebody's bit. Like, That's my bit, right? I hump a stool. You only did it for five minutes, I did it for an hour. Right. Um, Although I have to say, Ivana Green uh, is the preeminent chair humper in my world. She she does a great chair humping bit. And uh, I, I would put that up against anyone else's stool or chair humping bit. Yeah. Uh, you, you heard that, comedians. Take that challenge. Um, I'm glad you have them raised in now. your head. Yeah. But um, since I do have you, I feel like I just, if you can uh, uh, be patient with me and talk about writing a little bit more, because yeah. you have such an extensive writing background. If you have, like, writing tips uh, for comedians, whether that be about, you know, setting yourself a schedule for writing or, like, 
uh, either prompts you give yourself or whatever method you use for going about writing a set. Yeah, so I think I, I think you should always write everything down. Like that's the first thing. Like I, you know, it's great to have an idea or whatever, but as soon as you have, as soon as you think that's funny, like oh that's funny, you should write it down because it'll be lost to the to the ether or mm -hmm. or you'll just move on from it. Um, I think like so the way I like structure my jokes is like I think about like either like what's the funny situation or what's what's funny about whatever concept mm -hmm. you know that's like my premise or whatever and then I literally just try to tag it with as many examples of why I think it's funny and like that's usually like my joke structure and most of it stems from like a worst case scenario kind of thing where I'm like you know I'm like I went to the store and I'm like oh wouldn't it be terrible if that guy said that and then it was so uncomfortable we were getting into a fight in the middle of the store and then it'd be like oh that's really that would be, actually be funny you know and like that to me is like a perfect premise for a joke like thinking about like oh wow that would have been bad or oh that would have been weird and then you just sort of think like well what else would have happened what else would have been funny about mm -hmm. that um also too I think uh people who especially starting out a lot of times people will do storytelling like they just tell a funny story it's the story they tell to their friends and it's funny so if you have a funny story that works at in a stand-up situation at an open mic or whatever and it doesn't i don't mean like you all your friends think it's funny if you've tried it on stage and it works you, you can take the jokes out of that because you can't always be ready to tell a story you know you can't oh you're not always going to have the time nobody's just going to be like who wants to tell a story that may or may not last the set length? You know, like you can't do that. So you have to, you have to be able to identify like in a funny story, like what the joke is and be able to like retroactively like engineer, like reverse engineer that joke out of it. You know, like I have so many jokes that started off as a story and I was like, oh, it's funny that I said this. So then I took the whole story away, came up with a new premise to reach that story to reach that story point that became a punchline again, which you know has nothing to do with the real reason I started telling that joke or the real reason that story developed. So yeah, so you should always be able to like figure out what the joke is, what the funny thing is in whatever story you tell that's funny and be able to turn that into just a joke. And if the joke doesn't stand on itself, then it doesn't work. Because you, you can't rely on a story. Well, it's funny if I say it this way, or it's funny mm -hmm. if, and then I do this, and then I pause, and I'm like, Wah. you know, like. It's a lot of pressure that, you're putting to remember to the, uh, pause. <laughs> exactly. And also, like, it's not sustainable. Like, it's not a, it's not a good joke if you, it needs A, B, C, and D to, like, make it work. And I'm not talking about delivery and you know, I do a lot of pauses and voices and stuff too, but at the same time, like, you have to be able to know, like, the joke stands like on mm -hmm. its own. But I, I don't think there should be any, I don't think anybody needs to be like set with like, oh, I have to write every day. You should write whatever you feel motivated to write. But if you are working towards something, whether that's an upcoming show or you're working towards okay. getting your type five um, or you're working towards like getting a 30 minute set together or whatever, you should be thinking about that and hopefully working on it every day. You know, it's like if there's yeah. a goal in mind, even if it's just thinking about it every day, you know, like you need to at least have it like in your mind, like all the time. And like, I yeah. write my set out the first time, like my new jokes, I'll write it out like word for word. 
with like pauses and like a lot of my jokes, I try to make it sound like I'm coming up with it on the spot. You know, I try to make it sound like I'm like, and that's, oh, and then, that's the real work is make it look spontaneous. Yeah, I want it to always sound like I'm off the cuff and I want it to sound like I'm having this idea for the first time with these people. You know, I do a lot of like pause and like, oh, I guess that's why. You know, but I write it like that. You know, like I write it out in those words and I like, you know, like I know there's a pause there that's important and stuff. But then once you have like you've written stuff out and you feel like it's written out enough that you can get it word for word, you, you should be you really need to like practice it like exact wording so that you know what works. Cause like we said, like earlier, it's like, you can just change one word and it like changes the whole joke. Like I had this one joke where I went back from saying Ikea to um, Target where I like go back and forth between like, which is funnier. Sometimes <laughs> Ikea works, sometimes Target works. And it's such like a trivial thing. You know, like I always joke of like, I'll be before a show, like, mm, should I say dong or schlong? Is it dong or schlong? <laughs> is it today? a dong day? Yeah. <laughs> is it a dong night or schlong? But like, you need to know that like the joke works in this exact form. So that way you can start to pivot from that and figure out what works better or worse. And that, so you can like, link it to other jokes, make that joke into a, a chunk, make that chunk into a set, mm -hmm. you know, so that you can come up with tags. You know, if a joke works really well, then that's a, you should have that somewhere prime in your set. You should try to come up with tags so that you can keep that energy going around this like joke that works well. But yeah, I think you should write in whatever way is most comfortable for you because it shouldn't feel like not enjoyable to be working on your comedy. Because also then you won't do it. Because then you won't do it. And also when you do it, you're gonna be like relieved it's over like you should be excited to write the next thing like you should be like okay well then what comes after that what's the other joke that's like that so if I tell this and then I can follow it up with some other similar better joke you know but I think if you are like working towards something if you're like you have a goal in mind you need to like be focused on that while it's happening and then when you get to that point and you're like oh I did it I have a really good 10 minute set and I did it three times and it worked and I feel confident then you can kind of relax and that's when you can kind of start to blur the lines and be like, all right, well, I'm going to try eight minutes of that, 10 minutes that I know works, but then do two new minutes that I wrote that day or like off the cuff or whatever. Because like I start pretty much, if I have like a long set, if I have like 15 minutes or more, I usually start every set just talking about either like the day, the event or where I am. And sometimes oh. it's like not even a joke. You know, sometimes I just kind of like, like I'll talk, like my walk-up music is usually the milkshake song. So like, I'll talk about that. I'll be like, my milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. And they're like, ew, is this milkshake sitting out in the yard? You know, like, <laughs> it's like a dumb little like calibrating joke because I'm like, well, I feel confident about 10 minutes. So I'm like, I can do the other two of like, you know, kind of, I guess crowd work you would call, but I don't talk to people. I don't do call it, I don't want to talk to anybody, but you know, talk about like where I am or what's, what just happened, like something that happened that day, whatever, like the big news thing is like that day. And also too, that helps people feel like it's very like tailored to them. You know, if they're like, oh, he's just making it up right now. So, so yeah, so I think you should always be working on whatever and then just write the way that's most comfortable for you. But like, you gotta write it down. Like, I don't know how some com, Ian Salyers, I'm looking at you, my friend. I do not know how you do so much comedy and you don't physically write anything down. That boggles my mind. Like, how do you not forget everything the second you, you say it? Like, I don't understand. If you're watching, answer in the comments. Oh. Ian Salyers. <laughs> I, I recently had a breakthrough where I realized that writing stuff down was my problem and I needed yeah. to stop doing it. Really? So that yeah. works better for you? Yes. 
Yes. Because like, if I sit down and try to write a set out, it just, it feels super forced. I have to like force my sit, myself to sit down and focus. Yeah. And if I just like talk it out, I can remember it better and nice. it comes out more natural. Um, and it took me a really long time because it seems so counterintuitive to writing good comedy, which hopefully it's good comedy. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's just that that works for me so much better, but yeah. it also helps me remember it more because yeah. I have a harder time. This is the kind of person you are because that yeah. would kill me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, I write like my sets when I write out my sets, I, I do just like bullet points. Like I always have like a like a little title, I guess, for each joke, you know, I'd be like, oh, target bathroom and gay in the face and da, 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 you know, so <laughs> but like I, I have to write it out and look at it and like, because like when I would do this the specials you know like I I don't have it here but uh like in my notebooks I would have like a two page like back and front mm -hmm. with like the set written out in bullet points and I literally had to like memorize where things were on the page so that when I was up there because I did it with like mm -hmm. out notes so I did like an hour just like without notes and it was like I'd be like okay so I'm down here now <laughs> so once I get up to here that's that thing right 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 yeah I that's amazing I I'm impressed by that because I if I don't write it down I'm like what? <laughs> I think I mean if, I do think it comes from an improv background yeah. like I, I think yeah. you know because I've been doing improv since I was like 15 years old um, which is now longer than I want to admit it was uh, <laughs> so like making that transition into stand-up for me it's like okay I have all these improv skills like how can I yeah this around you know um but i also just want to say i really appreciate your comment too about the idea of like starting with the funny story because i feel like so yeah. many people have that and also uh my fiance it, uh, it was top chef season or is still going i forget but it's like uh you know your story is the syrup or the sauce that you're trying to make and you have to reduce it until it's like the I don't know the the flavor. It's a it's, it's a cooking thing. Comedy's like <laughs> cooking. That's the moral of it's today's true. episode. <laughs> it's true, and and I think people who are good storytellers on stage, they don't like write. They're not like here's the story. I'm gonna tell this when it's time for me to tell jokes. You have to like still write it, and then the transitions happen. And like you know, I write. I mean, I only write about a couple of things. You know, like I'm like, <laughs> is it gay, drugs, or being from the '90s? What am I talking about tonight, my friends? You know, and it's like I know that like I can link stuff together, like subject matter wise, and just through through improv kind of thing, <laughs> improving, I can kind of just like connect things and do transitions like that was the hardest thing about the special was like writing transitions being like well how do I how do I easily transition from this to that you know the next thing you know you've written like three new jokes because you're like oh that was just supposed to be like a sentence of transition <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like writing a whole new bit now you know yeah similarly to that but also not at all but I make um digital cards for my jokes with the setup and the punchline, and then I tag them uh, so that I can do like search queries for like my most talked about categories. Smart. And uh, it's way too much. And <laughs> yeah, I have... not, uh, not, not the most interesting way to approach it for sure. Well, I'm a good time, I... I promise. <laughs> <laughs> when I finished the first special, I in the joke book I was using at that time, I went through and then like wrote out all the bullet points of the jokes that weren't in the specials 
so that I knew like what I still had. Cause right. I was like, oh, I don't want to be just doing this material from the special and then be like, now go watch my special. I'd be like, well, you already saw it, you know? So like, mm-hmm. I made sure I was like, I like cataloged everything. And then, I, oh, it wasn't this notebook. I went through and I like put numbers. So I was like, is this about gay? Is this about getting older <laughs> at the time? Cause that was what I was writing or, you know, whatever, just so that I could go back and like, like index and cross-reference be like what oh. else do I have about getting older like oh no I forgot being looking like John Malkovich got it I'll do that you know <laughs> oh my god I found another organized comedian Yay. yeah I oh yeah and I'm like really messy in my life like I'm like a like my handwriting's really bad like I have really bad handwriting I think I was forced to be a righty um I like I have like really bad handwriting so I have to be like I have to have like a like a pattern or a plan that I can follow because I can't just go back and always read what I wrote. I'm like <laughs> Scooby-Doo and the Dharma Initiative. Is that what I wrote? Is that a joke? Is that a joke? I don't, I don't think that's a joke. Um, I used to try to be one of those people that would like write notes to myself in my phone about yeah, jokes yeah. that I thought of, yeah, yeah. but then I just go back to them later. And I, I literally was like, just looking at one the other day and it just says, Applebee's on Joppa, seafood down the coast. And I'm like, what the fuck did, what's like, <laughs> like, what, 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 you know, like, it's just. <laughs> I, in my notebook that's by my bed because if I just like and I have like an idea I was like let me write this down so I don't forget it forever it's never good I literally one day I just looked at my notebook and one of the notes just says Nostra Dumbass <laughs> I, was like, I don't know what the joke is but the punchline is Nostra Dumbass <laughs> and then like in those unwary moments I'm sure it'll like pop back into your I brain guess. at the most inconvenient time. But um, that's become the joke. The joke is just that, is that now. <laughs> like um, it's a good, it's a good punchline. It stands on its own. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, okay. And I will also share, although people have heard me mention this before, if not here, then on TPNJ, but I do have a bit because I do like so much stuff in my sleep. Like I'm a talker, I'm a walker, I move around. Um, and Chris was nice enough to share with me that uh, apparently uh, I've also tried to tell jokes in my sleep, which is uh, so, uh, <laughs> that's not the sign of a mentally healthy person um but it was like i was asleep and i was like how's it's so slow and he's like how slow is it so it's also like partly because he's a good scene partner um so it's like it's so slow it's dsl and i'm like that's actually uh i've heard worse you yeah, know yeah. um yeah. pretty impressive like, that's a bad dream joke yeah yeah, yeah you, can, you, you can go places with that maybe yeah but, yeah um, i uh i'm a big mover in my sleep too i like I'm like really bad and I like kick and move and wrap my blankets around my legs and stuff. And uh, literally the first time I ever told my boyfriend that I loved him, it was just because in the middle of the night, I just put him in a headlock and was like, I love you. I love you. Hey, hey, I love you. And he was just like, okay, like, oh, are you going to kill me now? You know, so I was like, well, thank God I got it out of my sleep so that I could feel Honestly. comfortable at doing it. If I could just get to the point where I can like sleep workout or like sleep do actual yes. productive stuff, oh, uh, that'd be awesome. Um, but we are towards the end of our time and like i said we also always end every interview with the same question so we'll throw this out there although uh we've kind of uh talked a bit about it it seems you've already kind of uh uh made it to a place where you want to be but nonetheless what are your long-term goals in relation to your pursuit of comedy um and 
I normally like to also preface that this is like that long-term goal, but also if you want to take a moment and uh, plug any of the stuff we can check out on the horizon, it can also be like a more immediate uh, what's uh, what those goals are kind of thing. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, my more immediate plans, my, I was going to say 2021 plans. Well, this year, whatever we consider this year, <laughs> uh, plans. Uh, I, I want the Lou Room to reopen safely and strongly. I want to reopen where we closed, where we were selling out shows regularly, where we were getting a much better opinion, where our um, people's uh, we're understanding that we were a different space than we started out as where people are getting to see our renovations and get really excited and do things there and, and want to be a part of it and not just come and see it, but you can be an active member of it. Um, and if you want to be a part of that, if you want to support it this Saturday, the 22nd, I'm doing, I'm hosting a six hour telethon from six till midnight Eastern standard time, where we'll have over 50 performers from around the country, improv standup and pre-tape sketch, where we will be raising money on our GoFundMe account. It's called Keep the Lou Room Cool. During, while we were closed for the past year and two months, we had to, we had to figure it out. We had to redo our HVAC system, our ventilation system. We're redoing the floor. It's, literally it's costing us tens of thousands of dollars and we've been closed since March 7th of 2020. So we are trying to raise whatever we can to get us reopened this summer with all of this work that we are just literally paying out of our butts for. So if you can watch, if you want to watch the uh, telethon, it's completely free. It's going to be streaming on Facebook live. You can find the event on any of my social media or look for keep the Lou room cool, which is what the event is called telethon. Um, and then if you can, please donate to our GoFundMe. Anything you can will be a huge, uh, huge benefit. And all the money goes directly to the contractors. There's like total transparency. We're going to show you invoices. We've got all the receipts. We're literally the money is going directly to the contractors who are doing all this work for us, which, you know, has already been done some of it. So we got, we need the money. It's already, we can't go back now. Um, and then hopefully we will be reopening this summer. Well, my personal long-term goals, I would love to write my own animated series. I would love to write and direct my own animated series, maybe do some of the voices. Um, yeah, I always wanted to do, like I used to, like I said, I used to do comic books. When I came out of college, that's what I did. I wrote and drew my own comic books about loser, super, loser gay superheroes. And I would love to turn it into an animated series. Um, I still write, I write scripts. I'd love to have one of my scripts done into a, a movie or a TV show, you know, something we were talking about before the pandemic and then this last year happened. Uh, so yeah, so I, I wanna direct, I wanna produce, I wanna write, I wanna do all those things. And uh, more than anything, I just wanna keep being a part of like the amazing comedy world in Baltimore as Baltimore's opinion, you know, um, influence grows because there are so many amazing people here. Baltimore Comedy Festival is coming back this September, run by the fantastic Ivan Martin. You can submit now if you are a comedian. Oh, submissions open tomorrow and run through June 20th. It's free submissions uh, to get one of their spaces. The Lou Room will be hosting the final night as we do every year. So Sunday uh, after Labor Day, we always do the last night of the festival at the Lou Room. Uh, so yeah, so those are my goals and to just keep having fun and loving life and getting to do comedy and uh, getting to hang out with fun, funny people and laugh more than I cry. <laughs> That's awesome. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry, can you just uh, remind me one more time though where people can go to sign up to be a part of the telethon and uh, the GoFundMe was keep the Lou Room cool. 
Yeah, Keep the Lou Room Cool. That's the GoFundMe and the Keep the Lou Room Cool Telethon is the event. You can find it on the Lou Room social media, on my social media, anywhere that we've been posting about this for the past couple of weeks. There's over 50 performers, uh, viral star, uh, TikTok star, Scott Zies, uh, <laughs> Ivan Martin, Daryl Charles, Cakewalk, the award-winning improv team. There's all kinds of amazing people, literally from California to New York City, who are going to be on this show just because they love the Lou Room and because they want us to be able to open safe. Literally, you talk about small businesses. This is one guy who owns this building and this bar, and he has been footing the bills this entire pandemic, as well as paying his staff to be open with masks on, serving drinks to go this whole pandemic. And he's a great guy. And I think, I hope now we have a better sense of how small businesses were impacted during this and how that actually affects people. Like I've been out of work since March of 2020, you know, like, I, I mean, I've been coaching improv online. I'm not completely out of work, but like, he's like been so impacted by this. So every little thing you can give will help. And when we reopen, we will be back to helping other people be able to work as comics do and make money doing comedy and producing shows. So, so it is very important. So please check it out. And even if you just want to watch the telephone, check it out. It'll be going from 6 p.m. till midnight this Saturday, the 27th. Okay. Awesome. 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 All right. I'm going to go ahead and close us out then. Okay. Here we go. All right. Um, well, uh, thank you so much for hanging out with us, Michael, uh, and you. being a guest on our show. Um, again, uh, if you want to check out his social medias everywhere, he is Michael C. Fur. Uh, check out Keep the Lou Room Cool. And I'll even say I normally do like a little plug to say that if you want to, uh, you know, uh, support the stream uh go to our website website but instead i'll say if you want to support the stream tonight go help out uh keep the loo room cool oh, um that, thank you that's thank awesome you. check out that telethon and uh thanks Ross, for being a great co-host and thank you our audience uh for watching uh tune in next week as we interview another comedian episode 28 uh, we're really getting up there almost 30 um but and uh otherwise have a good night goodbye Bye. Bye-bye.